The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. If you have your Bibles, take them out with me if you would, please, and go to the book of Ephesians is where we've been together. We're going to finish chapter 1 today. So I know last week we looked at verse 18, but we'll be looking at that a little bit again this morning all the way through verse uh, 23. As we get into this section, a word is going to come up, the word power, and to get our minds thinking about that word, you know, what is something in your life, I just want you to think about this to yourself, but something in your life that you've witnessed that just brought that word to your mind, thinking, man, this is, this is powerful, this, this, the power of this really is amazing, whatever it might be, I think it could come about in a few ways. One way you may think about this is through creation. And so we just actually read in in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, talking about God's invisible attributes, but how creation even shows his power, his eternal power that he has. But maybe uh, you've witnessed something within creation uh, where you are standing there just in awe of of the power of it. Remember a couple years ago, I was in Guatemala and we saw the effects of a volcano that had erupted just a few months prior. And a whole town just gone, just wiped out from the power of this of this volcano that nobody could stop. There was nothing that you could do to, to stop it, to try to make sure that it didn't happen. It's just, just too powerful. Or uh, even when Hurricane Katrina happened years back now, going down there to, to serve a few weeks after and just seeing all these trees just snapped like twigs, you know, 15 feet up in the air, just wiped out and gone and thinking, man, what power that had to be uh, for that to happen, for that to take place. Maybe you've witnessed something similar uh, just, just in creation, maybe with an animal or, or something like that, where you just were awestruck of the, of the power and the might of this creation. The other way that maybe you could think about this when I said something powerful is maybe something emotionally powerful, something gripping, uh, a song, a movie, a play, some sort of drama, you know, something uh, in your life that happens and takes place that just emotionally was very very powerful, maybe in a diff- difficult way or maybe in, a, maybe in a good way. Maybe when you met your spouse for the first time, it was just so powerful. I mean, it was over. It, go, it was, it was going to happen. Magnets drawn together. Whatever, whatever it might be, we, we witness this, these powerful things. And uh, for me, my mind goes to the creation side when I think about uh, power. But again, I bring that up because in this last section of Paul's prayer here in the first chapter of Ephesians, you're going to see the word power come up. And we're going to focus on this word power uh, as Paul is praying uh, for, this, for this church here. But I want us to see, hopefully today, what, what he actually means by this and how to properly understand what is meant by saying the word power in Scripture. Because I do think it has been hijacked many times to mean something else. We talk about power in a different form or in a different light of what scripture is really speaking about when it talks about having the power of God in you or talking about, as we saw there in Romans chapter one, verse 20, the eternal power of God. And so we'll do our best this morning to to wade through this and talk about it and try to keep from misusing the word. Because frankly, when, when we take things from scripture and we twist them a little bit, what we actually do is we, we rob ourselves of the true joy 
of what God is teaching us in his word. What God has given us in his word is much more powerful, if I can say that, much more wonderful than anything anybody else can come up with and try to twist and turn it to be. Uh, We are very, very good at uh, having these itchy ears that scripture talks about. And there are people out in this world who are very good at appeasing to the itchy ears. But I got to tell you, it is just robbing us of what is really in there. It's robbing us of what really God is telling us. And one of these words I think is, is power. So let's start in verse 18 of chapter one, and we'll read to the end of the chapter, verse 23, and then we'll, then we'll dive in together. It says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So this is the end of Paul's prayer here to this church. Now, a quick little review. This is why I read verse 18. So we could do just a quick little review. At the end of, at the end of our section last week, we saw that we, were, we are called to know God. And so there's, there's an act of wisdom and knowledge in that, in knowing God, of, to know who he is and to dive into his word. And Paul says that as we do that, as we grow to know him more, what happens is the hope that we have within us is more firmly cemented each and every time, all the time, that our hope actually lies in that. And, and knowing God is where our hope is. And so our faith, the Christian faith, really is a faith uh, yes, where it's a very, a very personal relationship with God. We're not, we're not getting away from that. But there's also a brain aspect to it of to know God. God doesn't just blindly tell us, just trust in me, but you don't need to know anything about me. Just know I'm the one you need to be trusted in. He didn't do that. He says, trust in me. And by the way, this is who I am. Here it is in, in my word. Here it is in the person, Jesus Christ. You can know me. You can know who I am. And by knowing God, we can be secure in him and have this hope. And so that is what Paul says in verse 18. But then he also says, by knowing God, it helps us to focus on the inheritance that we have been given through Christ. We didn't talk about this a lot last week, and I I don't really want to hit on it too much today. But we have been given an inheritance as believers, as people saved by God's grace. We've been given an inheritance by God through Jesus. It's an inheritance that is ours. Maybe we haven't fully realized it yet, but the Bible tells us one day we will. When we spend eternity with him, we will understand this inheritance, again, that we are only given because of Jesus. Through him, he has been given all things. Therefore, we have been given all things because we are found in him. And so that's what the verse 18 says, and that's what propels us then into uh, the verses that we read today. Well, Paul starts to talk about power. And he talks about power in three different areas that we're going to look at. Number one is the power of God in the resurrection. Verse 20. He talks about this power of God that we see in Christ in in the resurrection. We talked about this in great depth uh, on Easter Sunday, but we'll talk about it again uh, today. Our greatest enemy, your greatest enemy, as you sit here this morning, the world's greatest enemy in this life 
is death. That's what it is. And it's an enemy that we just simply cannot escape. Some of us in this room are more familiar with this uh, than others, not because you've died, but because you've experienced death with a loved one, with somebody close to you, maybe recently, uh, maybe not. But it's still our great enemy. And here, as you listen to me this morning, none of you have tasted it. None of you have actually went through death. You haven't experienced that. That still lies ahead of us. That's the good news, right? Let's go. Let's go home today, right? Let's go home right now. We're done. No. But we have this in waiting for us. And again, we've experienced it in different ways. I don't want to push past that or, or try to minimize that because death is very hard when it comes to our life through, through loved ones and, and different things. And no matter what we do, though, no matter, no matter what we would try to do, even if it's a loved one, I, I hope this isn't too graphic. I don't mean it to be graphic, but even with a loved one, no matter how hard you plead at the casket, death won. You, you can't get that person to come up. You, you, can't, you, can't, you can't try harder. You can't convince them. That there's nothing that you can do to get your loved one to come out of that grave. It's just not possible. I mean, this is the great enemy that we face and we realize, hopefully we all realize death comes to all without exception. And if you think about the history of mankind and you go all the way back to the book of Genesis for thousands of years, this is what everybody experienced born. You live a while you die. Final it over. There's no coming back from that. But then all of a sudden, we have a man named Jesus who's born, who lives a really short life, just 30 some years, and he dies. And all of his followers, what do they say? It's over. All of his enemies, the people who wanted him dead, why did they want him dead? Because if we can kill him, it's over. There's no coming back from that. Well, what Paul says is what God has shown us through the man Jesus is the power that he has. How? By raising Jesus from the dead, something that had never happened before. Now you might say, wait a second. What about Lazarus? True. But Lazarus dies. He doesn't stay alive. He dies again. And Lazarus didn't come up by his own power. It was by the power of Jesus and his word to come forth, to rise. Right. And so now all of a sudden within history, We have this great enemy of ours being conquered by this man named Jesus, by the power of God, resurrecting him and overthrowing our greatest enemy. It is a power that simply could not be comprehended before Jesus. It couldn't even be thought of that somebody would rise from the dead. And in fact, if we really think about it hard today, it's hard for us to understand as well. As you tell people about Jesus, maybe, and what he has done, how he's risen from the dead, you get awkward looks. And as we talked about during Easter, sadly, we have segments of the church, which is not the church, the true church, but who, know, who now say it's too hard for us to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. We don't really need that anymore. It had to be something else. But no, we see the power of God being revealed to us by raising Jesus from the dead. And Paul wants us and he wants the churches that he's writing to here to understand this power. In Philippians chapter three, verse 10, he says, Paul says this, that I may know him 
in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul, the great apostle Paul, who is honestly a genius. He he knows all of the Old Testament forwards and backwards. God has saved him by his grace and given him this great command to go to the Gentiles. And what does he want to know more? The power of his resurrection. That's what Paul wants to grasp more. Even Paul in his, in his great mind was still small, right? It was still difficult for him to even understand, to begin to grasp the power that God had revealed in the resurrection of Jesus. But Paul wants to know it more. This is why in Revelation chapter one, verse 17 through 18, John would write this. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys to death and Hades. Only Jesus can say that. There's nobody else that can say that. You know, uh, we, we like to comfort people and that's a good thing. We, we should do that. When people are hurting, we like to go and you maybe, maybe you like to put a hand on them and wrap your arm around them and encourage them. But something you can never say is you can never go up to them and say, it's okay. I am here. I am the living one. I died, but I rose again and I have the keys to death and Hades. There's only one that can say that. And that's Jesus Christ. And he's, he's the only one that has it. Why? Because it is the power of God shown in his resurrection. And so it is this power, right? That enables us to overcome sin here and now we are made new in Christ. As we talked about on Easter Sunday, how? Because of the resurrection. If it wasn't for that, we couldn't say we have new life in Christ, but yet we see in scripture very clearly all over the place that this promise is true. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's the good news for all of you here this morning. If by faith you've trusted in Jesus, in Jesus Christ, you can be saved by his grace, no matter what, no matter what your past looks like. Why? Because he's going to make you a new person through his death, through his resurrection. That is what you will experience dead to your old ways, alive to a new life in Christ. That's the good news message that we have as Christians to share. That's the good news message that we have in our heart that gives us great joy. Romans 12 verse two says it this way. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How is it that we can even go against the world and not be conformed to the world? Because Christ died for us and was raised to a new life so that we can be, have a new life as well. So that we don't have to be conformed to the things of this world, that there is actually a power that can enable us, that can make us into these new beings. And this is all true because of the resurrection. And so when Paul uses the word power, the first place he goes is the resurrection. But then the, the second place he goes is to the ascension. In verses 20 through 22 that we read, Paul talks about the ascension, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to the come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things 
to the church. I think the ascension is often overlooked, but the ascension is very important. We talk about Jesus' death and we talk about his resurrection, but we forget that there was a time when he ascended on high. Now, when we talk about the ascension, we often talk about what he told the church to do from there, right? Go and make disciples of all nations. But there's a reason that Jesus ascended. There's a reason that he's not here with us today, because some might argue, why didn't he just stay? Why didn't he just stay and lead the church, right? And, and do that. Well, he is leading the church today. Right at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is alive and well at this very moment. Jesus was not raised from the dead to, a, to, to this life back to do nothing. Sadly, that's what's portrayed, I think, by a lot of Christians. I'm saved. Done. I'm good. Well, it's not over there. Jesus doesn't save us and bring us to a new life just to go to bed, right? Just to sit in our homes and, and be all by ourselves or to do nothing. No, he, he raises us to a new life for, for a purpose. And it, it's the same. We see that with Jesus himself. He, he was raised, he ascended on high, and now he sits at the right hand of the fa- father. And the Bible tells us reigning over all things with all power. And we can be assured that nothing can thwart the power of Jesus. Now, a question might come up, and I think it would be a fair question. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8, listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. So we see this verse, and we know that this must be true. And we have to recognize that because it is true. In our world today, even though Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, we still see sin. Uh, we still see people hurt in this world. We still see Satan devour and destroy people in their lives. We still have to go to funerals because there's still death. And so we have to recognize Hebrews 2.8 and understand that is true. But then what is Paul talking about here? Well, we have to also understand that all things are under the authority of Jesus and none of this can take away his victory that he's already declared. On the cross, he declares victory and saying it is finished. It is over. And so all these things that we see happening in the, in the world today are not taking away Jesus's victory. He still reigns and he still rules and he still wins. We see Jesus's rule in a few different areas. Number one, earthly or physical is kind of how I, I labeled it here. The earth is his. It, it is Jesus's and it's his alone. There is no ruler. There is no nation. There is no power that can take away his position on the throne. I think we need to hold tight to that and remember that. Nothing can push him off his throne. It's his and it's secured forever. And so all the things that we see, all the things that we touch, all the things that we feel belong to him. And he has control over it. We don't need to run around as Christians like chickens with our heads cut off as if nothing makes sense and nothing is going on. It might not make sense to us, but listen, he is in control of all things. Nothing is pushing him off that throne. He sits there very secure. But it's not just the earthly things that are his. The Bible tells us all things are his. So the heavenly or spiritual things, 
Remember, Jesus would say, I just read it, that he holds the keys to death and to Hades. Satan will not prevail in this area. Jesus rules over all of it. And then the good news of this passage is it also tells us, though, that Jesus rules over the church, which is the last thing I want us to talk about is the power of God through the church. Because Paul's very specific there. As him as head over all things to the church, verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So we talk about the church. I think first we need to look at this power of God in us as individual believers because the church is made up of individual believers. So this is important. I want to remind you this morning, if you're a Christian, if you, if you would say, I have been saved by the grace of God, I trust in him fully with everything. I want to remind you today that the exact same power that raised Jesus from the dead the exact same power that gave Jesus authority to ascend on high and to sit at the right hand of the Father is the exact same power that saved your soul. The exact same power. Again, I just talked about how the the most powerful thing, one of the most powerful things that ever happened was the resurrection. That power is what has resurrected you from your dead life into salvation and a living life in Christ that exact same power. And so when we start to talk about the power of God in our life, I think sometimes people start to think about, boom, I'm going to heal you or something. Or the power to, to accomplish goals or, or dream dreams or whatever it might be. That is shortchanging what scripture is talking about here. The power of God that lives in you is the power of God that has conquered death, hell, Hades for you forever. It's the greatest power ever. It's the biggest thing ever. And so if you fumble around in this life for your whole entire life and you never become rich, you never find true love, you never have children or you're never this big success story, your name is never in the paper, who really cares if the power of God is on you and has saved your soul so that the day when you pass away, you'll be with him in eternity forever. And his inheritance is your inheritance. Who cares what the paper says? Who cares what's happened in this world? There's no greater power than the power that has saved your soul because it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And so that means that as a believer, as an individual believer, you are living proof of the great power of God. Again, not that you can do some special powerful acts or feats, but the fact that Jesus could take you, a wretched, filthy sinner that we know we are, that God could take you and forgive you and make you a part of his family and give you new life to overcome sin in your life to give you new life so that you can actually know what it means to have hope. The world loves to talk about hope and loves to talk about happiness and loves to talk about joy, but all of their roads of happiness, joy, and love lead to death, hell, and destruction. And by the grace of God, God has shown you, again, pitily old you, what the true road to hope, joy, and peace is. And it's the road that runs 
through Christ. That's it. See, that should excite us as individual believers. So we ask the question, well, how is this displayed then in my life? How, do, how does this happen? Well, First Peter 5, 6 through 11, Peter would write, humble, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a luring lion, seeking someone to devour. Verse 9, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. How do we do this? How do, how do we in our lives show people the power of God that has changed our life? Well, this is what it says in verse nine. It says, resist the devil. How? Be firm in your faith. Just be firm in your faith. It's nothing exciting. It's nothing extravagant. It's not even standing on the corner and yelling at everybody. It's not anything like that. Peter says, be humble, resist the devil. And how do I do that? Just be firm in your faith. Know your faith. Man, did we, we heard that last week. Know him. Know him and you can do this. As you stand firm and resist the devil. James says it this way in James 4 verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist him. Well, how do I resist him? Well, Peter answered that question by being firm in your faith. I've heard people declare before. I resist the devil. Do you? Are you firm in your faith? I mean, you sound really bold in what you're saying, but do you think that scares Satan for one second? You think he's scared of you? No, the only person he's scared of is Jesus. Do you know him? Are you actually found in him? Is all of your faith in him? It is your faith firm because this is how the power of God is shown in us. As we live a victorious life in Christ, knowing that he is the one who has given us victory over the principalities, over the powers of this world that only he can do. Ephesians 6, we'll actually talk about this later that we'll get to down the road. Well, then we look at the church and we see that Jesus is the head of the church in all things. We are not saved. I've said this so many times from here. I, don't, I, hope, it's, I hope it's being heard. We are not saved by Christ to be alone. There's no Lone Ranger Christians. We don't see that anywhere in Scripture. Actually, Paul goes so far in this, in this uh, book here in Ephesians to say, when he saves you, you become a part of the body of Christ. In Christ together, we are part of his, his body. And so there's this need for each other. But in this, we understand that his power is still at work. And how is it at work? It's at work through the church. As we follow him, that's what God has ordained. That is what God has put together in his plan, that the church will be the power of God on earth now. That's how people will know. That's how people will see it'll be done through the church. <clears throat> Paul tells us here that Christ needs to be the head of this, that Christ will be the one who leads this because apart from the head, there is no life. Nothing exists. 
And so we need Christ as the head of this whole thing. He's the source of everything that flows through it. We see other examples in scripture, do we not? Of I am the vine and you are the branches. There's no branches without the vine. You got to have the vine. This is the same thing. You need a head in order to have the body. And we are joined together with him. Later on in Ephesians chapter four, verse 15 to 16, Paul say this, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We are joined with him, the head and being joined with him. Christ shows his power. How through us, the church, he would go so far to tell Peter in Matthew chapter 16, verse 17 through 19, it says, and Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Church family, we, we need to remember and never forget this truth that Jesus is telling Peter here. There is absolutely nothing that stops the church. The true church, nothing, nothing stops the gospel. Nothing stops the power of God. There is no such thing as a gospel threat. Now, I don't know how many of you do the Christian internet stuff. I'd encourage you not to, honestly, it's very draining, but all over the Christian internet, all I see all the time, the greatest threat to the gospel is wokeness. The greatest threat to the gospel is racism. The greatest threat to the gospel is the church. I've seen the greatest threat to the gospel is you put whatever you want in there. Whatever phrase you want to put in there, I feel like I've seen it and I've read an article on it. Is media, is this, is that. I was reminded this week, a faithful brother put online and it was encouraging for me to see. There is no greatest threat to the gospel. It's been defeated. It's already been vanished. It's already been vanquished. Jesus has defeated the greatest threat to the gospel, Satan himself, and it's over. There are no more great threats. There's, there's no way for us to say, well, if this happens, the church is probably over. No, no individual churches. Yeah. We see them close their doors. Uh, We see things fail for, for whatever reason, right? That stuff happens, but the body of Christ cannot be thwarted. The body of Christ cannot be destroyed. Why? Because the power of God works through the body. It works through the church of which you are a part of. If you're a Christian this morning, Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, if we want to be a faithful church, number one, Jesus needs to be the head of the church. No board, no body, no committee, none of those things. Jesus needs to be the head of the church. And then we need to live to know him more, to be firm in our faith, 
to resist the schemes of the devil by being firm in our faith. And as we do that faithfully as Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, I can guarantee you this. We will be victorious. We will have hope. We will have joy. And we will have peace. Because that is what scripture tells us to do. I've gone off on tangents before on something similar to what I'll say now. But the church is the strategy. There's no other strategies out there for the gospel to go. One of the hard things that I have, you know, we're part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Don't look into that either too much. They fight a lot too, if you want to get frustrated. But we are part of the Southern Baptist Convention. But our national convention isn't the church. Our state convention, of which I was at this week and had meetings at, and I'm, I'm fine to be a part of that, and it's, it's good, and I see good things. We need to be reminded, our executive director, our people there, they're not the church. They're, they're a parachurch thing. They're a separate thing. Our association that we're a part of is Southern Baptists, the Southeastern Association of Michigan. It's got like 17, 18, 19, I don't, I don't know. We got some churches in it. It's not the church. When we meet as an association, it's, it's just, it's not. God uses the local church to show his power and to share his message of what his son has come and done and accomplished. And that's you. That, that's me. As we join together as a church family here called Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, to be faithful to the witness of Christ and the power that he has shown us by saving us and to be grateful for it. That's what we are called to do. That is the strategy that God has set forth for us that has worked. Listen, it's worked for thousands of years. It's worked under dictators. It's worked under kings and queens. It's worked under communist reign. It's worked under capitalists and democracies. The church works. Why? Because it's driven by the power of God through Christ. And when we try to sidestep that, it will fail. Oh, our numbers might grow, but it's not accomplishing anything. And so I want to encourage you first as an individual believer to remember the power that God used to save you. The same power of the resurrection that raised his son is the same power that has saved you by his grace and has included you into the family of God to be called an adopted child of God, to be given an inheritance through Christ. We need to remember that, I think, often. But then as a church, focusing on the fact that Jesus is the head of this thing. Jesus drives the ship Jesus moves the body. Jesus has given us the word, and so we must follow it. We need not deviate from it, because then we're the ones trying to run the ship. He's given us what we need. Let's trust his plan. Let's be faithful to what he has called us to do and pray and ask God to continue to use us for his glory and for his purposes. And if we will commit together to do that, I promise you, I promise you, it'll work because it has for a long time. Let's bow together. Let's pray. 
We're going to sing a song after I pray. And that's a time for you to respond to the word of God. Maybe this morning, for the first time, you're understanding the power of God and what that means. And maybe for the first time, you're realizing God's doing that in my life right now. I wish that by faith that you would believe that, hold to that, and know that the Bible tells us that as God calls you, he saves you. No matter your past, no matter where you are currently in your life, his power is great enough to overcome all those things in your life. And I hope that you'll trust in him for that. For the rest of us who have been saved by his grace, when's the last time we thanked him for that great power? Or maybe, maybe you've been misusing it. You've been thinking of it in different ways and you've been trying to extort the power of God for your own gain, for your own purpose. Maybe there needs to be some confession of sin for that. I don't know. But I hope you respond to the word of God after I pray and then we'll sing. God, thank you for your word. God, help us to grasp the heights and depths of your great power. It's hard for us to imagine. God, I feel just like, as Paul would say, how he said, help me to know the power of the resurrection. And God, it seems like if anybody knew it, it would be Paul. He met Jesus face to face on the road. He, the works that he did after, just so astounding. And the writings he's given us, amazing, through the, through the Holy Spirit. But God, if he prays that, we need to pray that too. And so God, help us as individuals to know the power of the resurrection better. As a church family to know what that means, the power of the resurrection and how you have brought us together as your body to honor you in everything we say and everything we do. And God, we want to be faithful to that. God, forgive us as a church family, maybe areas we've strayed. Give us wisdom and knowledge to know where that is, where maybe that's continuing so that we can stop that. Humble us so that we would do that. God, during this time as we sing this song, I pray that it be praise to you that we would worship you and that we would respond to your word how we should. We ask this now in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.